Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad to see you here today. It's always great to uh, gather in the name of the Lord and share this time of fellowship and and, and, uh, this time of worship together. And so we welcome you all and we welcome our guests especially. Uh, You're very important to us and we're glad that you're here and hope you'll feel very much a part of our family. Uh, Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. If you wouldn't mind taking those and filling them out, we would certainly appreciate that. Just uh, uh, put your name and address, whatever information you feel comfortable giving us and checking the appropriate box. We would certainly appreciate that. And I'd like to uh, call to your attention uh, several things that we have going on. It's uh, kind of a busy time around here right now. Our uh, women's mission group will be uh, having their dinner on Tuesday night at the Farmer and Frenchman, and I've been told that uh, you are to meet there not at 6 o'clock, but at 5 o'clock. So if you're planning on coming, uh, don't show up at 6 o'clock, because if you do, you'll just catch dessert. Uh, but uh, 5 o'clock, you can uh, show up at, at 5 o'clock at the Farmer and Frenchman, and if you need a ride, you can see Christine, and she'll be, be glad to give you a ride or or uh, have a uh, caravan or whatever they need to do. Uh, also, we are collecting shaving cream and razors this month for uh, Henderson Christian Outreach. And so uh, we have a basket over there to collect those. So if you would like to uh, put something, uh, a, a razor or, or, you know, I haven't had a razor in a long time. <laughs> Or shaving cream. So, I, you know, I, surely there's something laying around that I don't need. <laughs> also, uh, Mary, I think you have an announcement about our Hoops and Cheers program, our basketball and cheerleading program. We have up and running again. Unless you sat on it, you found a piece of paper in your chair um, to give you an opportunity to volunteer. Um, you will find the areas that we are asking folks to volunteer. On the flip side, you will find a calendar. Um, so you can not only volunteer for what you want, you can tell us when you want to do it. Um, so if you will fill that out, you can kindly leave it in your seat, and I will pick those up after worship. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. That's a very important uh, ministry that we have, and so please don't sit on your volunteer sheets. Uh, Pick it up and volunteer. We need your help. Uh, We also have a missions team meeting this afternoon at 5 o'clock, so if you're part of the mission team, uh, uh, then meet here at 5 o'clock. We have some things to discuss, uh, including our uh, missions fundraiser next month in September uh, 16th and 17th, our sure way um, barbecue, um, and uh, that'll be at the Eastgate Sure Way. And if you need tickets for that to buy, then or to pick up some tickets to sell, that's what we really want you to do. Uh, see Mike Sugg, and he'll be glad to get those for you. It is good to share this time together. So let us stand now, if you're able, and let us uh, greet one another in the name of the Lord.
are privileged today to have a special guest with us, uh, and she has been here once before uh, when I was out of town. She preached here about uh, a month or so ago, and, um, and uh, she is a great friend of Greg Gibson, and any friend of Greg Gibson is a friend of mine. Uh, uh, Angie Hudson is uh, uh, the pastor of a church. It's okay. I know what he Hudson. Oh, I'm sorry. Hudson. Humphrey. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. I've been called she, she was my friend. Anyway, Angie Humphrey is, uh, is uh, the pastor of Fresh Air Community of Faith in, in Evansville. And also, of course, is, she is the host of the Locals Lifestyles on uh, WEHT-TV, and uh, many of us enjoy her on that and, and get to see her, and we welcome her here. She is here to tell us about a uh, mission trip that uh, she and her church uh, uh, ventured on uh, a few weeks ago. So, Angie, welcome. Thank you very much. And don't worry about calling me Hudson. I've been called worse. Uh, good morning. George is in the back there, honey. Wave at everybody. He he doesn't get to do all this stuff because he's running the technology, which he always does. You all were so kind to welcome us before our mission trip, and we were gone for 17 days to Kenya. And for, thanks to your support, we were able to do that. So we wanted to, by way of saying thank you, show you some of the things that your prayer support allowed us to do while we were in country in Kenya. And so, honey, are you are you there? He's working on it. It was a 24-hour trip to get to Kenya. And I'd never traveled. Many of you have traveled overseas. You know what that's like. Getting it's like 14 planes and a, a goat train and everything else. So we left for Kenya on uh, July the 8th, and we came back on the 25th. And it was beautiful. This is a, the, just a really a typical scene of an acacia tree. They're always out in the uh, fields, and we see those every day. And this was at sunset one day. And our first journey in was uh, at the, this is our team, Pastor Lynn Rennie from Aldersgate is in the center, and then our two guides on the outside, Moses and Mina, and then there's uh, Sylvia Richard and Larry Driscoll along with uh, George and me. And this was the team I traveled with and worked with through Pastor Lynn Rennie's church, Aldersgate Methodist in Evansville. They've had this mission for over 14 years, and Lynn has been to uh, Kenya 22 times. And she goes back twice a year and takes uh, people. What she's established there is life-changing and has been for these two villages and many, many, many children. So this is the first the first day we spent at the Shock Lodge in Nairobi, which was, it's not shock like being shocked, but it's a guest house, C-H-A-K. And so we were exhausted. You can tell if you could see that we're just completely more I'm slap happy at this point. But I was so surprised because I thought when I got there I was going to be eating bugs and stuff. So I woke up the morning to an English breakfast because, you know, the English were the colonial masters really there. So they left behind a British breakfast, which is bean, baked beans and fried potatoes and sausages. So I was pretty delighted I didn't have to eat a bug. And then we went to church at Lavington, which is a Methodist combination African church. Beautiful service. And boy, oh boy, do they do music. And everywhere you go, there's a welcome song. Now, we traveled to get to Nakuru over the Great Rift Valley. And the Great Rift Valley extends all the way, if you can see, up from the top of Africa all the way through. It's sort of the Grand Canyon of Africa. Just an impressive, eye-popping, 
valley that you can see, and you can see how it cuts down through Africa, and that's our guide Moses telling us all about it. And this is apparently a blackberry and licorice at midnight. This is black. <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. Did we fall off the page or? There we go. All right, we're back to the beginning. Click, click, click. There we go. This is like watching your uncle's like film to, from Florida or something, and I'm trying to make it a little more exciting than that. All right. And I've got to tell you, these guides right here, when we came off the airplane, you know, it's, it's, we've lost a day and we're exhausted. And I walk out into the Nairobi night, and there's this big, wonderful black man who just enveloped us. And he was like Moses. He was the tower around us everywhere we went. I mean, people are carrying machine guns at the airport. I mean, it's just kind of frightening. But when Moses is there, the waters literally part. And all the time we were there, Moses was always right by you to take care of you. He was just a, a, a rock. And, of course, he is a member of the Luo tribe. There are 42 tribes in Kenya alone. None of them speak the same language. Most of the people speak English pretty well. And everything is written in English, but they have 42 different tribal languages. But Swahili is the language of business, so everybody knows when you say Jombo that you're saying hello to them in uh, Swahili. Can you click on past it, babe, or is it, are we just going to? All right. We traveled from the Rift Valley into Nakuru, and when we got near the big city in Nakuru, there's a, there's a store called the Nakamot, which is the Walmart of Africa. And you can imagine how happy I was to see toilet paper and things like that. I was going, oh, things that are familiar to me. So we got all of our supplies at the Nakamot and then traveled on. Outside the city, uh, one of the first places that we visited that Pastor Lynn's mission supports is Miss Alice's school. Miss Alice's school was really kind of outside the city limits. And when I tell you that... It's like a maze or a labyrinth to get back there. We got lost even. Moses got lost, which is amazing. And we, because it, they built this village up all around her. And all around this village where the school is, everybody has walls. The poorest person has a wall. And on the top of the walls are broken bottles and shards of glass to keep not animals out, but people and marauders. Big things of barbed wire, anything that would be a piercing item so you couldn't climb over their fence. Because people will take your, your garden vegetables or what, your animals or whatever. So we finally get to Miss Alice's school, and the children were eating porridge. And you, I don't, you can't really see very well, but there's a stove up there that is just really a brick outdoor fireplace. And that's how they cook. And that's how they feed all those children. The children are little bitty, just toddlers up to elementary school, and they all walk there miles. And there's nothing to see a two-year-old walking by himself to school in that very dangerous neighborhood. They walk very, very far. And so I'm feeding them. The porridge is um, it's a millet. It's... Uh, sargo molasses, very dense in nutrition, and it's very good, and the kids love it. And they also had another meal that day. They'll have kale, red beans, and rice. They grow, that is kale and corn behind me. So they feed through this program and the support from people from Aldersgate and people like you. These children get two meals a day, which is unprecedented in Africa. In both the places we did mission, the children had two hearty meals a day, and that is just unbelievable. It's school time. They go to school all day from like six to six because there's nothing else to do. So at school, they get these two meals, and then they stay and play or, or work or whatever until six or 6.30 and walk home. Uh, this next scene 
If it comes up, I think it's going to be the kids singing. When we came, everybody has a welcome song. So the kids meet us out there and say, welcome visitors. They all have that language, welcome visitors. So they sing for us and they really entertain us and welcome us. Africa is all about hospitality. You are, the, the poorest person is obligated to show you hospitality in a ways that we don't do that. The, the thing that was striking to me and to George too is that you think about walking, let's imagine walking from the car wash in Henderson all the way up here. Everywhere you are, as far as your eye can see, people, everywhere, everywhere, people walking, goats, animals, donkeys, and people walking because they're outside because the inside is kind of non-existent. So they're outside all the time, and the men don't have jobs. In Nakuru, this is a mission called Oasis. They call it Owasi. Oasis, and this is a, a shop for women. This is a garage that's not as big as this, about half the size of the choir. And this is where women learn to sew on a pedal singer sewing machine. And they're learning these two trades. They can learn to sew and they can learn to make this beaded jewelry so that they will have an income. Most of the men are unemployed. There's not any jobs for them to have. And so these women have the responsibility for their families. And they come here in this Christian organization to learn to sew. And they need about six more sewing machines and about 20 more feet on the garage. So it's an amazing ministry supported by several American churches. And you can see the beautiful beaded jewelry. What is interesting is the beads, are they make the beads as well. It's rolled up paper. They roll it up in tiny, tiny, tiny little pieces, and then they glaze it, and so it's rolled up paper. Beautiful. Uh, you would pay $150 for a necklace made, handmade like that, and they're like $8, $10. And that's how they make their livelihood. They all sing for us uh, beautifully. We traveled then from Nakuru, and this was a long, long, long journey by the, in the car, and just dirt and dust everywhere. And we go on into... Uh, the village of uh, Ekarinyo, which where we have our first medical camp. And our job was to do eyeglasses. So George ran the auto refractor, which is a big machine, and he would hold it up to their eyes and test them. And immediately when George looks into your eyes, he sees the exact prescription you would have if you went to the eye doctor. We had 2,000 pairs of glasses, and they were all donated through the Lions and different organizations, and he could find the closest match to the people there. You can see him using the auto refractor. We gave out about a thousand pair of reading glasses and over 200 pair of eyeglasses, and we could have given more if we'd had more. We just didn't have all the right prescriptions that we needed. But all the, the people helping us in camp wanted to get their eyes tested too. Uh, we did a medical, a full medical camp. We had a doctor, we had a nurse, we had a lab tech, we had a dentist, and the dentist was about, I don't know, half my size. Gal, and she, and you should see where she pulled teeth. I'm just saying, uh, it was the back room, concrete floor, torn up uh, chair, and she pulled 55 teeth. Now you think about how exhausting that is. It's not like they were loose teeth. So she's pulled 55 teeth with only a shot of Novocaine. Yeah, it's pretty. She was in tears by the end of the day. Her body was just exhausted. So this is the people lining up before we could even get to the camp. The people are lining up out of the outside the reading center that was built by this mission. They built a library and a computer lab for the people of the community called the Amani Center, which means peace. As far as your eye can see, people were waiting to see us. Uh, and they waited patiently for three days to get in to see the doctor. And the compelling part of the compelling piece for us was there was we did do a lot of good. 
but there was so much more we couldn't do. So many cases of cancer, so many cases of diseases that we were not at all equipped to take care of, and there is no medical care there. If you were hit by a car on the road, no ambulance is going to come and get you. You're, whoever hit you or some kind of person is going to have to take you to what would serve as a clinic where there are no x-rays, there is no medicine, and there's no doctor. And if you die there, they won't release your body till your, your family pays for the body. So all day and all night you hear all of these loud, blasting megaphones trying to raise money so they can get the bodies of their families to bury. It's phenomenal to think about. So we were treated. These are just people lined up everywhere. And then I'm doing the intake there with my friend whose name is Ordination. Isn't that cool? He was born on the day his father was ordained as a minister, so obviously his mother couldn't be there. Uh, so they named him Ordination. Great nurse. He is a, a nurse practitioner and a brilliant guy. And we loved all the people we worked with in all of these medical clinics. This is our entire team in, uh, at Carreño. And then we go from here to Dago, which is a village that is just beautiful. They had built a well. The mission that we work with had built a well at the top of the hill. This was huge. By the time we get back, George is going to try to go in, um, in February. All of this will be supplying water to the village. This is huge. Huge deal. And the mission throughout the year has paid for this. And they're so proud of it. They're so proud to have this modern technology. So then this is where we stayed in Dago. This is a family a farm. And this uh, belonged to uh, the Odoyo family. And they have supported this mission themselves. So these are the bunkhouses we stayed in. And there's our beds. And, of course, there are mosquito nets everywhere. Uh, they cover us up at night. with, ma- And we did really did fine there. But welcome, warm, and here's where we did clinic, and we had to do it outside so we'd catch a breeze. People lined up to see George and to see all of us. And this porch is filled with women. There are 80 women there, and this will kill your soul. These are local women. There's nothing else for them to do, so they volunteer and get trained as social workers. And their job, and this is all hand done, they have big, big files like this, and their job is to serve 3,500 children who have AIDS or who are affected, either infected or affected by AIDS. 3,500 children and 80 women. They have to go in homes and do uh, house calls and make sure that they are uh, identified for treatment. It's, it's massive. It's massive um, operation, and they live there in Dago and serve. And that's just in their immediate area, how many children are affected by AIDS. They're all living longer because the one thing Africa does, the medicine is free. But then they're living longer, but it's causing more problems, as you can imagine, with uh, longer care. And they just don't have those resources. So we did medical camp there at Dago, ate the best food you've ever eaten in your life. I'm not kidding. I, told, I thought I was going to eat bugs, and I took little packs of tuna fish and peanut butter and crackers. Oh, my gosh. I ate the best food in my life. They make this little donut called a mandazi, and you have that every morning, and cooked cabbage and kale and lentils. It was fabulous. Great food and served with such love. And so we left uh, Dago, after we left Dago and did medical camp there, and there are so many stories, we were able to play a little bit, and I wish we could show it to you, but it's obviously not going to happen, is it? We were able to go on a safari, and thanks to a very generous friend, we were able to take a balloon safari. Oh, there they are washing our hands before every meal. They, they wash your hands. And uh, we were able to go on a balloon safari over the Mara and see all the animals that you would imagine. It was the wildebeest migration, so there are a million 
mule beast cross road with the giraffes and the and the zebra the zebras they call it and so we were able to enjoy that and to see africa and at the end of our trip we were at the elsamere if you remember the movie born free the little lion elsamere we were there where she was elsa and we were standing outside and all of a sudden the zebras just came up behind us at dinner time, they just came and wandered through the yard and walked all around us. So we, we saw some beautiful things, and we were changed by our experience. And we just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. And we ask that you continue to keep Dago and Ecarreno and the mission from Aldersgate in your prayers because they certainly need that powerful prayer support, and they count on it. Uh, people in Africa all want to come to America. They all want you to bring them home. Uh, and you wish you could. You just want to load all those kids up. The kids would meet us every day because we were quite a sight. The white people, the Mzungu, the white people are quite a sight. And so the children meet us outside the fence, and they this is how they greet us. Hello. How are you? They think we sound like that. So they'll, they'll be following our bus, and they'll go, hello, how are you? But they want to touch her hair and touch her skin and touch our faces and see our bright blue eyes. And so it was just a magical, holy and sacred experience. And I want to thank you, George, and I thank you from the bottom of our hearts for supporting us. Thank you.
down, children. Mr. Larry's got something for you today. Oh, is this on? Everybody hear me? Boy. God, I get so excited when I get to do this. You know that? I really, oh yeah, I do. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I do. I do. I guess I do. Well, I'm just going to wing this this morning. I've got a lot to say in a short amount of time. And I don't want everybody to be mad at Tim because he runs the service over. Can you all stand up? Okay. Put your arms out. Come down a little bit this way, okay? You move down that way a little bit. There we go. All right. I want you to just wave your arms. You all look like you're going to sleep. Well, you're going to turn your body like this. Do like that, okay? Can you hear? You can't hear? I can't speak. Wave your arms. Act like a tree. That's what I want you to act like, okay? And the reason I'm having you to do this is because everybody knows I love wood. Anybody out here don't know I love wood? You don't know Larry McDowell, okay? And I enjoy doing things with wood. And where do we get wood from? Trees, exactly. You guys sit down now, okay? Hey, yeah, I wish we got money for them too. My point is this, and it's twofold. I'm going to speak to you, then I'm going to speak to them, okay? My point is, there's over a thousand species of trees just in North America. Didn't know if you all knew that, okay? I can name off a few of them. I can't name off near that many. But when I walk through the woods, I see a lot of different types of trees. I see red oaks, white oaks. I see maple trees. I see hickory trees. I see black oak trees. They're all different species. And in this small area, they're all growing. Now, there's times when the wind comes up and blows their limbs and they beat each other to death, okay? But when the wind calms down, they come back and they grow. They get along. The trees get along. I've been real concerned recently with all the disturbance we have in our country, in the world. And my story is this. We've got to learn to get along with one another. We've got to go and take and believe what God has told us, that we're supposed to love all mankind. Amen. Not just in race, religion, gender. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You kids all went back to school the last couple of weeks, haven't you? Yeah. You get along with your schoolmates? You don't? <laughs> I'm going to make you an exception, okay? I think you're telling me a fib. I think you've got some friends at school, okay? But the reasoning I'm trying to say is this. It's amazing that these kids can go to school. You can, I'm going to stand up in it. You can go by school playground and you see these kids all playing together. They don't see color. They don't know religious differences. They get along. They get together. And you know where they learn the opposite of that? I'm sorry. It comes from home. And all I'm asking is this. In the future, especially, and thank God, 
social life is going on and, and as years progress and hopefully maybe in a hundred years it won't be a problem. But right now, these kids are learning it from you all. And please, when you talk something, it, 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 I call it smack, okay? If you call smack, watch who you've got around you. Because these kids are not learning at school. They get along with people. I don't know why we can't get along with people. Because really, if you feel like that you come in them doors today and you come in with God in your heart, that book right there tells you we're all supposed to love all mankind. didn't say what color he was, what race he is, what gender he is, whatever. You're supposed to love all mankind. Now, once again, I'm going to go back. You all know I like wood. And you all know I like to show off my wood, okay? There's nothing wrong with showing off what you got, okay? And uh, I have to say, this little item here, my wife, I think she's seen it on Pinterest or something, one of them things, but she came to me and she says, do you think you can make this? And I thought, oh, I looked at it and went, eh, I don't know. That looks like it's going to be pretty tough. Well, anyhow, I did And I will tell you what I call it, because everything I do has a name. I can't tell you the different varieties of trees I have in this. Uh, most of them are from North America. There's a few from the rainforest, okay? The Purple Heart, the Paducah from rainforest. I can tell you this, though. As I made this board, I had to come up with a name, because I named everything. I call this my world cross. Now, I will tell you where this, this hangs in our house. We go out our patio door. We go out our garage door. There's just enough room for this cross to hang there, okay? And what this cross does for me is this. Every morning, I go out the door. I can glance up at this and say, I'm going out amongst the trees. i got to get along with all the trees, Okay? Because that book tells me to. And if I'm going to be with God, and I'm going to be with that book, I'm going to get along with the trees. And I ask you all, please, to do that. We've got to get this distinction we have in our world now and drop the hatred we have in our hearts and cleanse it out. This morning, after this, I asked the choir if they'd do a special favor and they sing a song that I like very, very well. Let there be peace on earth. And the key to that is, let it start with me. And I want it to start with all you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You got to go back.
Let us pray. Loving God, you have called us to be your kingdom, to take care of each other, whether we deserve it or not, to love each other, whether we are lovable or not, to forgive each other, whether we feel like it or not, because you take care of us when we have been selfish, because you love us when we have been hateful. Because you forgive us when we do the unforgivable. We lay down our money, our time, our talents. We lay down our lives at this altar and ask your help to, for us to use these gifts to be your kingdom. Amen. Please follow along as I read the scripture from Luke chapter 14, verse 1 and 7 through 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, as he told them a parable, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, Do not sit down at the place of honor. 
in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return. And you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This, I believe, are the words of the Lord.
Wow. Do you feel it? You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes a pastor gets up at this point in the service and, uh, and the service has been so inspiring and God has already spoken in so many different ways. You feel like, you know, why ruin it with a sermon? But you know better than that. So, <clears throat> uh, I thought I'd get some something from the peanut gallery after that. So, maybe an amen or something. But uh, some of you may have seen a little book titled uh, "The Second Book of Insults." Speaking of amens, corners back here. Uh, evidently, the, the first book of insults was so successful that the publisher thought it would be a good idea to uh, to to make a sequel of this. And I'll confess that it does sound like an enjoyable read. The second book of insults. I mean, who doesn't like a good insult? It's, a, it's in the grand tradition of a type of, of comedy called the put-down. Uh, we were engaged in a little bit of that just yesterday when I, I told Mark that he enjoyed talking to Siri on his phone so much that she was the only one that, that listened to it. And there's even a tradition of put down in the Bible. Uh, we have we have great songs in the Bible, including songs like the Magnificat, which which Mary sang after Gabriel told her that she would uh, be the mother of the Messiah. And so she sang, "My soul magnifies the Lord, for God has regarded the lowest state of God's handmaiden, and the Lord has knocked the mighty down from their thrones and exalted those of low degree." That was a put-down of those who were mighty on their thrones. Now, the English are masters of the put-down. Winston Churchill and George Bernard Shaw were particularly known for their biting wit. There was one famous exchange between Winston Churchill and Lady Astor. <clears throat> it seems that Lady Astor did not like Winston Churchill very much, and so one day she said to him, If I were your wife, I would put poison in your teeth. To which Winston Churchill responded, if I were your husband, I would drink it. And then there was the time when George Bernard Shaw sent two tickets to the opening of his latest play to Winston Churchill with a note saying, here are two tickets for opening night, one for you and one for a friend, if you have one. And not to be outdone, Churchill sent the tickets back to him along with this note saying, I cannot attend on opening night. Send me two tickets for the next night if there is one. <laughs> I suppose wherever you go, where, wherever there are hierarchical institutions or any institution for that matter, you will have a concern about status. There are those in the upper echelons of power and others below them. And the people who are below are probably telling these put-down stories about the people that they hope to replace someday. F. Scott Fitzgerald's American classic, The Great Gatsby, revealed the, the status seek, that status-seeking is a part of American society. America used to see itself as being a classless society, proud that it was not like its European cousins with its stratified societies. 
But Fitzgerald revealed that America has created its, its own system of class. Only in America, one's class is not based on owning property or, or family name. It's on money. It's based on money. It's on how mon- it's, it's now money that separates us. And so Jay Gatsby, looking across the water at the green light on the dock of the rich, was shut out of that society because he was poor. And he wanted so much to be a part of their elegant parties. He wanted that more than anything else in the world. And that is true in any institution. There is some type of formal or informal structure, some hierarchy with titles and salaries and privileges. Even churches are ranked according to status. It's everywhere. Do we have that church up there, the church cartoon? There there it is. One church is obviously bigger than the other one. One church is obviously bigger than the other one. So not to be outdone, they're trying to seek a little bit of status. The little church says half as big but twice as righteous. It's endemic. Every institution, any grouping of people will manifest it, including even the church. It's everywhere. And Jesus condemned it. Listen to our text for this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus was the guest at a fancy dinner. It was a kind of supper that would have probably been covered by the local society page of the newspaper. Maybe even on lifestyles. I don't know. The guest list would have been impressive. The most important people in town would have been there. The host was a a prominent man in that community. Luke says that he was a ruler, which means that he was a a political leader of their town. And, And so people looked up to him. People paid attention to him. We're also told that he was a Pharisee, so he he moved in the right circles both politically and religiously. And so he invited some of his friends to dinner to meet the newest celebrity. In Israel, this man from Nazareth who had gained such notoriety as a great preacher and teacher and healer. There were even stories about miracles that he had performed. And so Jesus was a celebrity. Thousands of people had come out to hear him preach and teach. And and everyone at this dinner had obviously heard about him. But probably none of them had taken the time to go out and actually hear him. And so here they were. It was a nice affair. Probably one of those backyard banquets with, with one of those huge white canopies. You know what we're talking about there. Catered by the best caterer in town. The lawn sloping down to the water's edge. It was, it was absolutely lovely. Then after the meal, the host got up and gave Jesus the most gracious introduction. And then he asked Jesus, would you like to say a few words? And in hindsight, I believe he probably regretted that. For you see, Jesus stood up and he said, as I was sitting here, I noticed the way that all of you were jockeying for position as you found your seats this evening. 
you were all maneuvering to get the most important seat that you could find. But let me suggest to you that when you are invited, invited to the marriage feast, don't sit down at the place of honor. Because if you do, then somebody more important than you might show up and then the host will have to come over and in front of everybody else say, excuse me, can you get up and let this esteemed guest sit here? Instead, when you are invited to the marriage feast, go to the lowest place, as far away from the head table as you can get, so that when the host comes, he may say to you, sitting back there in the corner by the kitchen, friend, come on up closer. For everyone who exalts himself or herself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles himself or herself will be exalted, lifted up. Now, this probably left the guests scratching their heads, not quite understanding what Jesus was getting at, but understanding enough to feel uncomfortable about it. For you see, this was a parable of judgment. And here's the clue. When you are invited to a marriage feast, that phrase in and of itself is the clue. You see, the marriage feast was one of Jesus' favorite metaphors for the kingdom of God. Jesus was pictured as the bridegroom. And when the kingdom comes, it will be like a great banquet, a marriage feast, he calls it. And there are other parables, several parables using the same metaphor. There is a, the parable of the bridesmaids waiting for the bride, bridegroom to come and the parables about banquets and feasts. And, and usually they're concerned about who's invited and who shows up and who doesn't come and who comes and who gets in and, and who doesn't get in. This is one of those parables. And its purpose is to give us a glimpse of the end of time and it's saying to us, don't count on what you count on now, counting then. Don't count on what you think is important now, being important then. All this jockeying for position, all of this self-promotion, all of this wanting to be in the right place and wanting to be number one, being on top, being seen, none of that is going to count because the only thing that counts in the kingdom of God is humility. Because, my friends, at, the, at that banquet, at that time when Jesus calls us all to show up for dinner, the appropriate place for every single one of us is at the foot of the table. At that banquet, in that kingdom, the appropriate stance for every single one of us is humility. Now, nobody knows exactly when this is going to happen. And nobody knows exactly what's going to happen at the banquet of the Lord. I, I got to admit, I get impatient with people who seem to know it all. And there are people out there who know it all. Or they think they do anyway. They know exactly... When it's going to happen, they know exactly what's going to happen. And they seem so sure about who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. As if they were privy to the guest list. As if they knew beforehand who has been invited. And as if they knew the seating arrangements and who was going to be sitting at the head table with Jesus. 
And who's going to be sitting back next to the kitchen door? They think they know. And it's interesting to me that the people that they say are going to heaven are the people who agree with them. And the people that are going to hell are the people who don't agree with them. And these people pass as Bible-believing Christians. And I wonder, have they ever read the Bible at all? Because if you read the Bible, it is as clear as it can be. Nobody knows. But here is one thing that we do know. Because the Bible is very clear to tell us that there's going to be some surprises. There's going to be some surprises. As that old spiritual puts it, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. But from this story from Luke, it gives us the best clue there is as to how we can get to heaven. I mean, if you're still interested in that. Here's a very important clue as to who gets the invitation. The humble will make it. For those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. That's it. That's what we know. We also know from other teachings, like the last judgment seen in in Matthew 25, that humbling yourself means thinking about other people, serving other people. You remember the story. It's the judgment day and the Lord is separating the sheep from the goats. And here's the thing. The most significant part of this story is Jesus separates the sheep and the goat and the the goats are over here and the sheep are over there. The most significant part of that story is that no matter whether you're a goat or whether you're a sheep, everybody's surprised at the outcome. Those who get rejected are surprised because they thought they were shoe-ins. They thought they had a reservation at the banquet. And what's even more important, what's even more significant is that those who do get in, they're even more surprised than the ones who didn't get in. You see, it's all about humility. They weren't even thinking about getting into heaven. They were just thinking about helping all of those poor people in need. That's what they were thinking about. And so the clues are there. And they are consistent all throughout the Gospels. The advice that you should humble yourselves occurs time after time again in the the Gospels. As many times as love your neighbor. And so if you really want to ensure your salvation, then maybe you need to stop thinking about your salvation so much and start thinking about somebody else. And I think that 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 the most uh, inescapable evidence for this is is the pattern of Jesus' life itself. Philippians, um, Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, and and it's a wonderful passage. And it's a, this pattern of Jesus' life is a part of what Paul wrote about. Apparently Paul encountered some conflict in Philippi because he begins this passage by saying, Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility, there's that word again, 
count others as better than yourselves. And then he offers the example of Jesus as evidence that this is the right way. And what follows is so beautiful, so exquisitely written that, that, that we think it was a favorite hymn of the ancient church. As Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Paul is absolutely amazing here. He's addressing a, a, a church fight. Or maybe it's a disagreement between two people in the church that's turned ugly. Or maybe it was a marriage problem and all, everybody in the church knew about it. And Anyway, he hears, something, hears about something going on in the church and he addresses the issue with this advice. Do not do anything from selfishness or, or from conceit. But in humility, count others as better than yourselves. And then he illustrates it with the example of the Lord. And in that context, counting others as better than yourself means being a servant to that other person. Our example is Jesus who did not count equality with God as something to hang on to, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Paul was amazing. He was saying to them that Christ humbled himself to save the world, so why can't you humble yourself to save a relationship? And Christ didn't wait for us to shape up before he came to us. He came to us, as Paul says elsewhere, while we were still sinners. Christ came to us just as we are and forgave us. So shouldn't we do the same for those who have offended us in some way? Go to that person as Christ has come to you and forgive them. That's what humility looks like. But let me, let me give you an example of what humility looks like when it comes to to a separation as the result of class, the class of people. Robert Coles is a psychiatrist. He writes lots of books. He teaches at Harvard. He's a very smart man. You impressed yet? Well, he wrote a book about one of my heroes, Dorothy Day. And in that book, there's an anecdote. Now, Dorothy Day, if you don't know who Dorothy Day is, she was a, she was a very famous Catholic social worker and co-founder of the Catholic worker movement that extends uh, the love of Christ to those at the very edges of society. Well, when Coles was a medical student at Harvard, he volunteered to work at the Catholic Worker House. He was a, a, a graduate of Harvard University, and now he was a medical student there. He was going to be a psychiatrist, and in our society, that's just about as high a status as you can get. You know, and he knew it, and he was really proud of 
everything he had done and who he was. And he was also proud that as this person with all of these credentials, he was volunteering to help the poor at, at the uh, Catholic worker house. Because that's the kind of thing that people sit up and take notice of. <laughs> so he arrived at the Catholic worker house and he, he asked to see Dorothy Day. He went right to the top. Well, the person said that she was in the kitchen. And so he went into the kitchen and he saw her sitting there at the table talking with someone. And it was obvious that the man that she was talking to was addicted to some dangerous substances. He was disheveled. He was obviously a homeless street person. And there she was, sitting at the table with this homeless man, listening intently to everything he had to say. Now I want you to think about Jesus' parable of the banquet and the seats at the table and where you're supposed to be at the banquet. She's here at the table with this street person, giving him her full attention, so much so that she didn't even notice that Coles had come into the room. And so he just stood by the door waiting for her to finish. And when she finally finished her conversation with the homeless guy, she stood up, and that's, that's when she noticed Coles standing there. And she turned to him and asked, Oh, do you want to speak with one of us? Well, he was astounded. Dorothy Day was famous. This man with her was a nobody. He's a derelict. Wouldn't it be obvious that he wanted to speak with her? But she didn't see it that way. Did you want to speak with one of us, she said. Cole said that he had never seen anything like that before. A humility that can identify with another person so completely as to remove all distinctions between them. It cut through all the boundaries, all of the categories that society sets up to separate us from one another. They were just two people, brother and sister, the sister concerned about the brother. And it changed his life. He said he learned more from that one moment than he did in four years at Harvard. He saw in that one moment what it means to really humble yourself as Jesus did. Who did not count equality with God as something to hang on to. But humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. My friends, it is very simple. If you want an invitation to the banqueting table of the Lord, Jesus tells us here what you need to do to get it. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. Something to think about, isn't it? Something to think about indeed. Amen. Let us sing together our closing hymn, number 66, Day by Day. And it's great to, to share this time of, of, of fellowship and worship.
And uh, let me invite anyone who would come to uh, join our church or to make a commitment to Christ to do that as we sing together day by day. Please be seated for just one moment. Um, In case you have not met this young man, I want to introduce him to you and and invite you to get to know him because uh, this is a special young man. This is Trey Mays. Uh, He is a good fellow, a friend. Well, you know, in spite of everything I say, Mark has more friends than Siri. (laughs) Trey is Mark's friend. And, and Trey is my friend, and Trey uh, can be your friend as well. And he has come to unite with our church and to, to say yes to Christ, uh, to say yes to Community Baptist Church. And he wants to be a part of this fellowship officially and to be baptized into the faith of Christ. And so I hope that you will celebrate this with me and welcome him into the family of God and into the family of Community Baptist Church by raising your hand and saying amen. 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 Trey, we are so happy that you have uh, made this decision to, uh, to be with us officially and to be a part of our ministry here at Community Baptist Church and most importantly to be a part of God's family. And I, tell, I tell this every time somebody unites with our church. I tell them this, that every person, every member of this church is a minister of God. You are a part of our family. We will minister to you in whatever way we can. And in return, we will expect you to minister to these people as well because we are all ministers of God. And that's who we, do, that's who we are and that's what we do. So welcome to our family. And we look forward to the ministry that we have to you. And we look forward to the ministry that you have for us as well. Welcome. Thank you. I, I know you'll want to come by and speak with Trey and to... Uh, 
welcome him and to give him the, the right hand of Christian fellowship. Now let us stand for our benediction. Oh God, let your blessings rest upon our dear ones and friends, wherever they may be. Go with us to our homes, to our work, and give us that kind of spirit that will not forget your presence with us always. Remove from us every form of pride or self-deception that would cause us to look upon another person with disdain. Enable us to be people of reconciliation and restoration as we go in the peace and in the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.